Hey there! So glad you made it. It's a great day to smile. This is Charles Lowry with Faith Quest. You have made it to the place of encouragement and hope. We're providing biblical resources for people to help them make it through their day or week or life. How about that? So anyway, um, you may be wondering, Charles, why the heck are you starting a podcast? That's a good question. You know, off and on through the years, I've been on social media and people have requested information from me and teachings and sermons and uh, articles and different things and I've constantly given stuff out and I thought you know what it'd probably be a lot easier if I just had a some kind of platform and a friend suggested hey why not a podcast so that's what I am doing I'm creating a podcast here uh, called Faith Quest, and it's going to be really cool because you're going to be able to um, uh, hone in on different things, and I'm going to have special guests from time to time, and it's just going to be great. Uh, my only motive is uh, I'm not here to make money. I've got a good job I enjoy with good people. I just want an outlet to be able to minister to people and help encourage people. And I know you'll probably encourage me along the way. So that is what we are doing. Um, You know, we're going to provide different subject matter from time to time. And this first episode is going to be something that uh, I know something about. And that is dealing with anxiety. So today we're talking about answers for anxiety. Let me... uh, Maybe go back into my history just a little bit. And a lot of you can probably relate to this. You know, I had anxiety before I even knew what anxiety was. Um, I can recall even back in school. Uh, hey, do you remember making those uh, or taking those uh, tests with the Scantrons? Man, I am dating myself now. But, um, you know, you had to fill in the little circles, right? And uh, I remember taking those tests and... I don't know, man, something would just well up inside me. I believe it was performance anxiety. And it's weird. I know this is going to sound crazy, but um, I would know a lot of the information on the test, but I would just be so freaked out from taking the test or with taking the test that I would just start randomly just filling stuff out just so I could get that test completed and get the heck out of there, even if I... (laughs) Excuse me, even if I knew I was going to fail. Now, that sounds really dumb, I know. But that's the kind of stuff that anxiety will do to you. It controls your life. It makes you do dumb stuff, right? Um, And a lot of people that don't understand anxiety, meaning well, they'll just say things like, well, just pray through it, you know? And that's great, but sometimes we need some instruction. I'm not knocking prayer, man. Pray for me all you want, but I'm also going to need some instruction and some wisdom. So that's what I'm hoping to give you today. Um, Years ago, as I was preaching uh, through Psalm 23, the Lord gave me some wisdom uh, about this through uh, Psalm 23. I don't know if you know it or not, but a lot of your pastors will teach through things that they themselves or maybe have some experience struggling with, or maybe even struggling with at the time. I did that a lot. And i tell you why, because I figured if I was going through something, somebody else was probably going through it, or maybe they're not going through it at that instant, but they would be going through it. You know what I mean? And hey, even if they're not going through it, 
they're probably going to meet somewhere, somebody along the way that is going through it, right? So we need to know these things and be familiar with these things. So at bare minimum, we can help somebody out. But I know very few people that haven't dealt with anxiety in some shape, form, or fashion. So um, just want to share some things. So we're going to dive into Psalm 23 here. And um, all my theologian buddies out there, let me just throw this out there. Before you start writing me hateful emails and saying, you know, uh, I didn't rightfully exegete this text, I realize there's a primary interpretation for every passage of Scripture. But we also know that there can be many, many applications to Scripture. And so what I'm doing here, I'm taking some applications from Psalm 23 and applying them towards a life of anxiety, okay? And I found that these things work because they're just biblical truths, right? So let's dive into Psalm 23. Many many of you have heard this at funerals or whatever, you know, through the years. You've seen it on uh, pictures and postcards and paintings and all that stuff, but we really maybe haven't given it a lot of thought into our practical life. And as I began to study it, I saw this unfolding of a process in my life that helped me with my anxiety. So I'm hoping this is going to help you too, okay? And it starts off, the Lord is my shepherd. So much truth packed in there. Right at that, the Lord is my shepherd. Because it it starts off by saying, hey, you're not in control. You're not in charge. So right off the bat, here's what we got to do. We got to take this huge humility pill, accept this, this, this truth of humility to know that no matter what painting we have pictured for ourselves, we think we're in charge. We're really not. We're not the masters of our own destiny. And if you want to find the first step in relieving your anxiety, hey, give up of trying to be CEO of the world. That'll help. That's the first step. Man, you're not in control. And if you were, boy, you'd do a horrible job. And so would I. So the Lord is our shepherd. As we begin to think about that, sometimes our sources of anxiety and worry and things like that come from the fact that we've either put ourselves in that place of control or we have shifted that to something or someone else. Let me give you a few examples of maybe commonly uh, done things or commonly placed uh, things. What we do is, let me just pick a few. How about our pastor? Sometimes we put way too much pressure on that guy and we um, we get disappointed when he is not the uh, uh, doing what we think he should do or providing the peace we need in our life. You know why? Because he's not your shepherd. So I thought scripture says, Charles, he's a shepherd. He is an under shepherd. That means he has some shepherding qualities about him. And we should all, um, you know, submit to that in our life. But as far as being your great shepherd, the sustainer of your soul, it cannot be your pastor. 
Because as great as your pastor is, your pastor is not going to be perfect. Your pastor is going to fail you. Your pastor can't always be there for you. And so don't take this like I'm knocking pastors. I'm pretty sure your pastor would agree exactly with what I'm saying right now. Matter of fact, the it, it's a injustice to your pastor to put him in that place because even your pastor knows he can't fulfill that role in your life. So I see that common mistake so many times. People lose their peace when they get upset with their pastor or even their church. You know, they get filled up full of church activities and some of that's good. But if you think you can bring peace to your life and if you think you can handle the or manage the anxiety in your life by getting filled up with a bunch of activities from your church, it just simply won't work. And don't read this like I'm, I'm saying you shouldn't be active in your local church because you absolutely should be. That's a great, healthy thing. But not to the exclusivity of having an intimate, ongoing relationship with the Lord. Okay? So, He is our great shepherd. <clears throat> and then another thing, Maybe just any relationship, your relationship with your husband or wife, maybe a girlfriend if you're not married, um, or a relationship with a family member. So many times we put uh, that role of shepherd on one of those relationships. And again, as good as those relationships may or may not be, those relationships will fail us. So maybe just take a quick inventory right now and say, you know, what is the thing that most quickly robs me of my peace in my life? It's very possible that that is the thing that you have tried to put in that shepherding role of your life. Could be your job. You know, it doesn't even have to be a person. Could be your job, could be an activity, could be a hobby, whatever it may be. So, the Lord is our shepherd, okay? And there's this beautiful dependency that God has created us for, okay? Now, if you're a controlling person, what I just said about beautiful tendency, those two words don't go together maybe with you, beautiful and dependency, they are. It's beautiful. God has designed us to be beautifully dependent upon Him. Now think about this. Why did God, in this passage, use the example of sheep? He could have used any animal. Any animal. Well, I'm not proud of this, but I've heard pastors say this. As a matter of fact, early in my ministry, it's probably why I used to say it. But I used to say things, well, God called us sheep because we're dumb. You know, we may be in, in comparison to the infinite wisdom of God, but we have to be careful using that language, especially when we're trying to help people who maybe don't have the best self-esteem. They're anxious. They already feel broken. Because it's not so much that sheep are dumb. It's 
They are created for relationship and to be dependent, just as you and I are, okay? So maybe in comparison to the infinite wisdom of God, yes, but just in a general sense, are sheep dumb? No, we aren't, okay? We're just very, very dependent. And thinking about the animals, God could have compared to to different animals, but he chose sheep. And there's a reason. Um, Cows and horses, and think about the different farm animals, because we live in Texas, right? Or I'm in Texas, at least. Uh, Most of us in America, we think maybe can um, relate to farm animals more than we can maybe sheep, although there are sheep here in America. You can tell I'm not a farmer. Why am I even trying to describe that? (laughs) But uh, anyway, sheep were used because... Um, You know, horses, they'll innately, they will find water, shelter, food fairly well on their own, you know, if it's around. And so will cows. Um, Sheep, not so much. They're not good at finding those things on their own. They have to be led to food, water, shelter. And we're the same exact way, okay? Sheep have to be led. And if you are going to be successful in your life and you're going to get to a good, healthy, emotional place in your life, let's start here. You have to be willing to humble yourself and to submit to your great shepherd and to be led by your great shepherd. Now, I don't know about you, but I like simple things. I don't like real complicated things. I'm a very simple guy. And I like this great truth I'm about to tell you. As sheep, we have one simple job. That one simple job is to follow. And isn't that great? You've got one job. One job. And that was to follow. We've all seen those memes. You had one job, right? Well, I remember before I learned this truth, I looked back at the so many times I had messed up and it made me think, man, Charles, you had one job and that was to follow the shepherd. It wasn't for me to produce all these things in my life. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. He didn't just say, I'll point the way or tell you about the way. He said, I am the way. And if we'll follow the great shepherd, we'll enter into that life of abundant life. You know what I mean? Hope this is making sense to you. So that was the very first step I had to learn is that, hey, Charles, you're not in control. And this isn't about you producing these good things in your life. The pressure's off of you, man. The pressure's off of you to make it all happen. If you're in ministry, guess what? Let me help you out. The pressure's off, man. You don't have to be brilliant. You only have to respond to what God is doing. As a parent, pressure's off. If you'll just let God lead you. He's got some wonderful instructions. Whatever area of life or arena or life you can think of that we get stressed out about and we get anxiety over, The pressure is off because we only have one job. Isn't that great? Just to follow the shepherd. So let's just follow him. Leave the results to him. 
and he'll do some beautiful, beautiful things. All right. And so, and then it goes on and it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, what does that mean? That means that he is taking care of our needs. Since I am following him, I've got this one job to do. Excuse me. I'm going to follow him and he is going to supply my needs. You know, innately, I think inside of all of us, we know on our own. Now, I'm not talking about with Christ because I know in Christ we can do all things. But without Christ, we know our insufficiencies. And so when we take on that role of trying to handle things on our own, anxiety creeps in because we know there's going to be need. We know we cannot do it all. When we put God, the great shepherd, in that place, the person of the Holy Spirit begins to confirm to us, guess what, Charles? Everything's going to be okay. Now the pressure is off you to meet all your needs. Your needs are now going to be met by the shepherd. And now, man, when I started grabbing hold of this, it was like, wow, I can breathe again. It's not on me. It's on him. And time and time and time and time again, I saw him fulfill and meet every one of those needs. It reminds me of Philippians 4.19 that says, My God shall supply all your needs. And it doesn't say according to us or our job or relationship. It says according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Right? And so, uh, anyway, it's all in him that our needs are met. And then after it reminds us that our needs are being met, it says, he makes me lie down. Now, people who are anxious, actually all of us, but um, we're not very good at lying down. When there's a perceived problem, we want to get up, not lie down. We don't want to stop. We want to run faster. We, we don't want to slow down. We want to speed up, right? Well, the Lord has a solution. He said, since I'm in control and since I'm the one, you know, providing all your needs, now guess what you can do? Now you can chill out. You can lie down. Now, let me tell you about rest. We were created for rest. There's different theological camps when it comes to this. And we can all have unity, by the way. I'm not here to create a bunch of diversity. Um, when we go back to uh, what we refer to as the Old Testament, and we think about specifically things like the Ten Commandments, we know there is a commandment to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. There's a couple of camps in Christianity One probably says concerning this that that commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy is still in effect and we should honor and keep that. There's another camp that says that was totally fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something, regardless of which camp you fall into, it doesn't take away about from the power and the principle that God created every one of us to need rest. We were all created to rest 
in him. Now, theologically, I follow along the path of, I believe that God did create us for a Sabbath day rest. I believe that's wise. And God created us for that and to need that. And uh, the sheep are made to lie down because they're not wise enough to know to do that. And so they're being made to do that. And I can tell you in my life, I can think about more than one time where I feel that the Lord made me lie down. He brought me to a place of uh, where I, I just had to focus on Him. I maybe came to the place of utter exhaustion, but that's a hard way to learn that lesson. And the best way is to set yourself up where you don't have to be demolished to be put in that place of rest, that you intentionally find a weekly Sabbath, a weekly rest. We all need that. Now, that brings us to a good point. Why don't we naturally do that anyway? Why does our spirit sometimes rebel against that? Well, when we think about the sheep, sheep had a hard time resting under three different conditions. Number one, if there were some aggravations, the sheep were aggravated, they didn't want to rest. Um, you could think of it like this when they would have things like buzzing swarms of flies and insects if they were left in that arena in that uh, portion of the field they wouldn't want to lay down in that mess because there's too much aggravation going on insects swarming around your head that kind of thing so they would be led to a place that was more conducive a mesa, a table Okay, and we'll get to that later. We're the same way. We try to lay our head down to rest, man. We've got a million things going through our minds that that we are aggravated about. And if we're aggravated, that probably means that we're trying to control that particular uh, part of our life. Which brings us back to the point that we really aren't acknowledging that he's our shepherd. All right? So that's one reason. Maybe aggravation is keeping you from doing that. Number two, fear. Sheep wouldn't lie down if they were afraid or scared. You know? And we're like that. We lie down and we think about maybe not the aggravation as much as what if what it's going to happen what's this going to turn out to be in my life well i've got this meeting next week am i going to meet my sales goal am i going to am i going to be able to confront that coworker that that i've been you know having trouble with or am i going to even get fired what's the economy looking like so many different things that we can be fearful of and that again goes back to the point that we realize that there's a great shepherd if we or if we realize there's a great shepherd who is only leading us into those places of blessing then we're not going to be fearful so the point of aggravation maybe triggers the fact that maybe we aren't viewing our great shepherd the way we should fear triggers the reality that maybe we aren't viewing our great shepherd the way we should And then there's a third reason, hunger. If sheep are hungry, they're not going to settle down and lie down. And uh, we're the same way. 
But our hunger is more, what I'm going to talk about is more of a spiritual hunger. And we're not, when we're not being fed and sustained by the great shepherd, what we will do, we will artificially try to feed ourselves. Running about here and there with every activity, uh, trying to make ourselves feel emotionally full when that is really supposed to come through a relationship with Jesus Christ, our great shepherd, through things like the Word of God teaching us, and through the person of the Holy Spirit ministering us, we are filled up spiritually so now we can lie down. Isn't that good stuff? So, when those needs are being met, then the shepherd can lie us down, and he makes us lie down. And he makes us lie down for rest. And then he brings us to, where does he bring us to? Green pastures. Now, when I heard this for years and years and years, I always pictured in my mind. And I know I saw paintings of this, you know, this beautiful, lush landscape of just green. Almost like it, I picture in my mind something like Scotland, you know. A place in Scotland that is so green and a little brook running through there. Several years ago, I watched a documentary about shepherds and sheep. And it was in Israel. And the guy was taking them to a place that was considered green pastures. And I laughed because there was nothing green about it at all. Matter of fact, it was a very dusty and rocky landscape. And I thought to myself, how in the world can you call that a green pasture? How does that happen? Well, it was indeed called that. And it was interesting as the the guide was taking uh, uh, this crew, this film crew, over to this place that was called Green Pastures, what would be considered green pastures as in the text, He would kick over one of these little rocks and under one of these little rocks would be these sprigs of grass where water had collected, moisture had collected. Sometimes it would be so dry that maybe the only moisture collected was from the humidity and therefore, uh, you know, would create drops maybe even of water. And these little sprigs of green grass would be exposed underneath those rocks. And so the shepherd would know they were there and kick them over. Maybe a a lamb or sheep would not even be able to see that. But the great shepherd would know. And man, that spoke to my life. How many times does my shepherd start leading me into a place and immediately I'm thinking, what are you leading me over here for? There's nothing here. Man, I've been praying for green pastures. What are you leading me here for? You see, when I try to take authority in my life and I try to presuppose that I know what's best, I get into lots of trouble. What I need to do is I need to have faith and confidence that great shepherd knows how to lead me into green pastures no matter what it looks like. He knows how to kick over the rocks and expose 
things to meet my need. And isn't that good? Think about where you are right now. You could be thinking to yourself, why did God put me here? And hey, maybe God didn't. Maybe you're in the place you are because you ran away from the leadership of your shepherd, but it's very possible that you're where you are right now because God indeed did lead you there. Your great shepherd led you there and you just can't see the green. Trust him. Help him to expose those areas in your life and the things around you where he can actually meet your need in the middle of where you are. Rest in him and eat of these green pastures. And remember, he leads you to these places. It's not for you to go out and find. He led you. You know, really, if you think about it, the last real decision you were to ever make in your life was to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because after that, every other decision really is on him. It's all his leadership. It's all his guidance. Again, you have one job. And that one job is to follow. And he leads you beside these... Hey, this is Charles Lowry with Faith Quest. We are beginning part number two. You say, why is it part number two? Because I accidentally cut the thing off last time. <laughs> Remember when I told you this was going to be a uh, learning curve? Well, hey, I wasn't lying. And let me tell you something. I got so anxious. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it'd be bad for me to get anxious and have anxiety while I'm teaching on anxiety. So that didn't blow me out of the water. <laughs> We're just going to pick up where we left off, and hopefully I'll figure out a way to add this so you can see it there. But hey, give me a little grace, man. Still learning how to do this. Um, we're gonna, I'm hitting up my friend uh, Larry Roberts. Some of y'all probably need to look him up. He's a longtime pad, uh, uh, podcaster. See, I can't even say podcast, man. He's a longtime podcaster, and um, he uh, actually wrote a book about it. Okay, uh, one plus one equals podcast. So if you're wanting to figure out how to do that, I'm going to be utilizing that myself. Look him up and I know he can, he can probably help you. So the shameless plug there, Larry, uh, but there you go. Um, anyway, we've been walking through this process of dealing with anxiety based on Psalm 23. And uh, if you'll remember, we went all the way through, you know, we were talking about how, the, how we acknowledge we have this good shepherd and he leads us in paths of righteousness. He sets us down in green pastures. He restores our soul, right? And that's where we're going to come to now, the part that he restores our soul, man. God is in restoration business, okay? He's serious about it. God doesn't just throw you away. You know, when things are crazy, he doesn't throw you away when you make a mistake. God wants to restore you. Okay. Now, here's what we do sometimes. Sometimes we think, okay, I need to be restored. So we just, we just pray, God, restore me, restore me, restore me, restore me, restore me. Okay. And uh, I'm saying God can do a miracle, but most of the time, God chooses to work through a process. We would probably call that process sanctification. 
okay? Um, that's a, just a word that's used for us becoming more like Him. And um, sanctification is the process we've been looking at so far. As we acknowledge we don't produce, it's God who produces. Uh, you know, He's our great shepherd. He's the one that makes me lie down. He leads me to these green pastures beside the still waters. And then we come to this this week, he, or the, uh, this part two, he restores my soul. Okay? Now, restore means make it like it used to be. All right? Bring it back to its original um, quality. We've all been familiar with maybe a car, an old truck, piece of furniture, something that's been used and abused and beat up, man. And now somebody's going to take it and they're going to very gently restore it to its original quality that's what god wants to do with us to restore vitality okay and most of the time like i said god uses this process to doing that so go back and read what we've shared so far and listen to what we've shared so far um, about the process this process of following the shepherd acknowledging him letting him you know getting rest and letting him lay set you down um, he makes you lie down in green pastures leave beside the still waters now you're ready to be restored okay and God will do that now I want to share this in the spirit that God does that some of us have the idea that when you know when we need restoration that God's gonna just somehow come to you and you um, hit you over the head and beat you up and spank you real hard. Um, I'm telling you what, my experience has been that once I come to this place and realization of following my shepherd and I've already submitted, I've laid down in these green pastures and fed his word and by his spirit, he's led me beside the still waters. At that point, God, I'm telling you what, God's ready to love on me and care for me and, and to minister to him to me. Now, let me give you a biblical example because I know some of you are wondering, well, where's the passage of scripture that goes with that? Okay, I'm just going to give you an example. Um, in 1 Kings, I believe it's eight, chapter 18, um, with Elijah was um, called upon by God uh, to cry out against the prophets of Baal. You remember that? Okay, they were worshiping Baal, and there was going to be this great, uh, there was drought in the land, and the prophet uh, speaks against Baal, and um, there's going to be this great contest on Mount Carmel, and this contest happens. The followers of Baal, the prophets of Baal, are going to call up. They, they build these two altars. They're going to call upon Baal to uh, consume the altars by fire. And basically, they say, whoever's God answers, uh, uh, then they will be the one and true God. Okay? Of course, the prophets of Baal called out. You know, they're not there, not listening. Matter of fact, Elijah even <laughs> begins to say that. And Elijah begins to um, uh, basically taunt them and and mock their God, okay, when it's his turn. And then he actually orders for the for their water to be distributed all over the altar, calls upon God, God answers by fire, and proves, of course, that he is the one true God. After that, Ahab tells Jezebel exactly what Elijah has done. And man, Elijah takes off. And he hides in fear underneath a broom tree. Now, 
it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but you think he just stood up to the you know, 450 prophets of Baal, and then all of a sudden, he's hiding, you know? Uh, he was in need of restoration. Whatever was happening with Elijah, whether it was he was tired or um, spiritually worn out or whatever, no question he was in need of restoration. And so the angel of the Lord comes to him and finds him under this broom tree and he's pouting and feeling sorry for himself like we can often do. And he says, here's what he says. He says, oh, I've been very zealous and all this stuff. And the angel of the Lord basically says, listen, have something to eat and to rest. And the angel ministered to him right where he was. Man, that's powerful. Because once we have submitted, um, the Lord doesn't want to beat us up. He wants to minister to us. So if you're in need of restoration, know this. And you already acknowledge that. You've submitted to God. You've said, I acknowledge you're my shepherd. I want you to let me, or I submit for you to let me lay down in green pastures and lead me beside the still waters. I'm in need of restoration. The Lord ministers to you in a very gentle way. And can I say, we need to be that way towards other believers as well. You know, um, it's one thing if somebody needs correction and they're, um, you know, they're being very rebellious and not, but you know, the Bible tells a principle about the Lord. It says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when we're in that place where we're humble, God's not going to resist us. You know, God's not going to, he wants to care for us and be gentle. So I think sometimes our first reaction towards someone is to tell them, well, you wouldn't have gotten this mess if you'd have done this, this, and this, or to give them a sermon you know, and there's probably going to come a time for instruction, but I think in the very beginning of this process, people need to be loved on and encouraged. They really do. And that's the way we see the Lord treating Elijah. So we're in this process of restoration. We've already submitted. He's the shepherd. He's going to make us lie down in green pastures, lead us beside the still waters, and he's restoring our soul. He's restoring us, okay? And then the very next phrase says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, I think it's interesting that we are not made righteous, um, or our soul, excuse me, our soul is not being restored by doing righteous things. Do you notice we're restored before any before we're led in paths of righteousness? Now, what's with that? Well, we don't have any righteousness of our own. Do you understand that? No righteousness of our own. Uh, matter of fact, the Bible's very clear about what God thinks about our righteousness. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. Okay, it has no value to it. Matter of fact, it's disgusting. Okay, um, any righteousness we have is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when the Bible talks about us walking in righteousness, okay, they're being led in paths of righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It's His righteousness. And we're being led by this great shepherd, okay? So many times we think, okay, God, if I go out and do this and this and this and this, will you be happy with me? And God's like, I'm happy with you when you follow me and I send you out there, okay? 
I send you to walk in my ways. You don't go out and produce things on your own and then ask me to bless it or wonder if that's okay. We are led in paths of righteousness, His righteousness. So when I am uh, treat my wife right or my kids right or do a good job on my job because I need to be a good employee or um, minister in the local church through ministry or wh- whatever happens, okay? Those needs to be things that I am led in His righteousness, not me trying to produce anything. Does that make sense? And so... Um, I'm not anxious about, hey, God, am I making you happy? Because I'm not producing anything. I'm not going to take that on myself. I'm not going to um, you know, try to produce that on my own. I am going to walk in His righteousness. And then why am I supposed to do that? It says, for His namesake. It's for God's glory. Okay? So, man... You know what I get from all of this? All these verses that we've looked at so far, all the pressure is off me, man. It's off me. It's a life of grace. You know, it's not a it's not a life of legalism and I'm having to keep this and and produce this because I did this God likes me. No, God likes me because of my faith. And and, and where did my faith come from? My faith wasn't even produced by me. God was able to produce that in me by his grace. So, you know, I can't even take credit for that. So it's all God, all right? And then let's get in this last part of this. It says, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, this is the first time we see anything dark, all right? So far, it's all been happy and pretty. We're being led in paths of righteousness and green pastures and still waters. And all of a sudden... Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Man, that's, that sounds pretty scary, right? It's the first time we see anything like that. And so let's learn some things about this. First of all, let's learn that even when you're walking with the Lord, we're going to wind up in these places sometimes that are scary. And it's not always a result of any sin in our life. You know, sometimes we end up in a scary place and people automatically, their reflexes say, well, what kind of sin do you have in your life? You know, <laughs> listen, right here it says, we're being led in these paths of righteousness. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, what's a shadow? A shadow is not tangible. Okay. Um, a shadow is, is, uh, Almost like a reflection, okay? I want you to think about this. A shadow is cast by something that's based on reality. And we can face shadows because our great shepherd, he took on the reality of death, did he not? He took on the reality of death, so the shadow of it is no threat to us at all. I can't remember if it was Charles Spurgeon or if it was D.L. Moody, I believe it was one of them, used the example of if you saw a shadow of a dog, you know, say there's a dog inside a fence and it's casting a shadow maybe somewhere else, are you going to be afraid of the shadow that it's going to bite you? Absolutely not. Well, it's the same thing here. We're not afraid of the shadow. The only thing that produce, the only thing a believer has to worry about death is the shadow of death. And that shadow is just a, it's just an image. It's just a picture. Okay. 
it, it, it's nothing tangible for the believer. It's already been defeated. So we don't have to worry about that. And I want you to, and since that's that way, I want you to know that we're not running through the valley of shadow of death frantic, like, oh my gosh, let's get out of here. Do you remember maybe growing up and maybe there was a house that you were scared of? Maybe they had a dog <laughs> or a mean person or a weirdo, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, somebody that you just did were afraid of and you would run past that house. We don't see that picture here because there's no fear. We don't have to run through the valley of shadow of death and be scared. We're just casually, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And why? It says, because you are with me. Now, I told you the language changed from very light and happy to, you know, um, to kind of dark here. But another thing that changes, the other thing that changed was, um, he says, all, all before it's saying, it talks about you, 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 you know. And now, or excuse me, it doesn't talk about you. He says, uh, um, talks about the shepherd. And, and now, now it's very personal. It says, even, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. It gets personal for you. All right. Not very personal in the first part of this chapter. And then now it's getting really personal, but you are with me. All right? You know what I see here? I think intimacy is built when we go through these things. And we, when we go through these dark times, we get to know the shepherd in a way that we have never known him before. Man, I one of these days I'm just going to compile testimonies of people that have gone through some dark things on the other side Um you know, they can say, I learned some things about the Lord and I know him in a completely different way now than I did before. So much more intimate. For you are with me. And then it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, there's been a lot of debate over whether you know, the rod and the staff are two different instruments or they're one that are used in two different ways. I kind of lean to the side of they're probably one instrument that was used in, in two different ways, you know, um, where the rod was used as a rod of protection to beat off those wild animals and snakes and, and different things, you know, as a, as a form of protection. As we go through this dark valley, he's there to protect us. But then it's his staff, you know, he comforts us too. That staff's keeps us on the right path that when we get to that place where we're you know we're, we're tempted to go off on a different path and not follow our shepherd our shepherd our shepherd through the person of the holy spirit will say come on back had to get back on the path okay so it's beautiful to know that the rod and they his staff they comfort me the great shepherd but we have to be submitted to that great shepherd in order for that to happen okay so his rod and his staff, he comforts us, corrects us, um, beats off the enemy, break, uh, guides us back on the true path, okay? And he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, this is a weird, weird thing. I want you to think of, he says, you prepare a table. Now, that table had to do with a, a field, a, a place. We, we think of the word mesa. Uh, a place where the sheep would go and graze and, and uh, a peaceful place, all right? And he says, we're going to do this. We're going to have this banquet. We're going to have this feast. We're going to have this time of fellowship 
and provision. I'm going to prepare a table for you. And where am I going to do that? Right there in the presence of your enemies. In other words, I'm not going to wait for the enemies to disappear. You know, some of us are, are living anxious lives and we're living anxiety because we're waiting for those perceived fears to go away before we feel like we can have any peace. Well, I'm here to tell you, he can prepare a table before you right there in the presence of your enemies because any threat your enemy has to offer is not reality. It's based on a shadow. The enemy wants to produce death in your life, but he can't. Why? Because Jesus already defeated death. Okay? He defeated death. And so now, even right before the presence, in all the presence of my enemies, I can have perfect peace. I don't have to run through this place. I can sit down and enjoy a meal and have fellowship with my shepherd right in the presence of my enemies. Isn't that a cool thing? Wow, that's awesome. And I want you to know that God had the foresight, it says, to prepare this table. In other words, this didn't just happen by accident. The Lord says, I knew you were going to be in that place, and I knew what was going to happen. I knew the process that was going to take place. So before you even got there, I prepared a table before you in the presence of my enemies. And isn't that awesome? And this next phrase says, he anoints my head with oil. Now, in the beginning, I remember I, the last uh, podcast that I cut off short, sorry, uh, I showed you how that the frustration part, I was going to bring something to light about that. And here it is. When I was studying about a long time ago about the sheep and the shepherd, oftentimes what would happen is a threat to these sheep was a insect and it was called a nose fly. I don't know what the scientific name is, but it was a nose fly. Okay. And these flies, they would go and they would lay eggs up in the nose of these sheep. And I know it sounds really gross, but they would lay eggs up in the in the nose of these sheep and it would aggravate them so much. A lot of times these sheep would scrape their heads on the rock and sometimes even beat their heads on the rock. It would literally drive them insane. And so many times that's like us with our frustrations. And so the great shepherd says, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you to these these still waters and I'm going to take care of you. Even though you walk through the valley of shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil because I am with you and I'm going to anoint your head with oil. How cool is that? Just like those sheep that had these frustrations, things like nose flies, we have things that come into our lives. And I think, or I believe that that is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God anoints us. He, he, and it's funny, he, he doesn't just throw it on, you know, he doesn't just uh, cast the oil and hope it lands on all the sheep. He takes each sheep individually and he anoints their head with oil. So not, no matter what happens, we're able to take these things in life that would drive us crazy. You know, um, there's this passage of scripture. It says that God is able to give us a peace that even passes our own understanding. I think it goes hand in hand with that thought that sometimes the, the fears are, or the, the things that are uh, capable of producing fear, God may not remove those things from our life, but as we go through them, we're able to keep our sanity because of the ministering power, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Isn't that cool? 
and we can be we can be delivered from anxiety by the ministering power of the Holy Spirit, knowing, hey, God's here. All these things I'm experiencing, they're not death. It's a shadow of death, okay? So really, really cool stuff. And then it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We've got the great shepherd going ahead of us. And oftentimes there'd be some sheepdogs uh, back behind, you know. And I want you to think of the goodness and mercy, kind of like those sheepdogs that are keeping everything in place. We're surrounded. We've got good and mercy, goodness and mercy uh, uh, following me back behind me. Have the great shepherd ahead of us. Man, we can't go wrong. And then it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow. Well, this has been a good study of, of Psalm 23 and, and um, dealing with anxiety. I hope it has helped you. And here's what I want to do before I, I sign off on this, okay? I want to uh, pray for you, but especially I want to pray for you if maybe you have realized through this podcast today and, and, and the importance of following the shepherd, maybe maybe you've never come to the place where you have submitted your life to this great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And I want to share real quickly how do you how you do that, okay? Listen, your biggest problem in life is not your discomfort. It is the fact that if you've never come to the Savior, that you've been separated from God by your sin. We're all sinners, Okay. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God is what Romans 3.23 says, all right? And so if you'll come to the place and admit that and that you need a great shepherd, Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, sin always has to be paid for. See, that doesn't seem fair. No, it would seem it wouldn't be fair if sin didn't get paid for somehow, all right? And so God is holy and just, so he has to judge sin wherever it's found. And he allowed his only son, Jesus Christ, to come be born of this earth, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross as a substitutionary death for you. Okay? You either had to pay the fine or Jesus did. And Jesus did it for you. And if you'll acknowledge that, and say, I'm a sinner. I received the payment for sin that Jesus paid for me on the cross. And I call upon him to be my Lord and Savior today. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right here in this moment, you can pray it in your own way. And he'll deliver you and he'll save you. And he'll become your Lord and Savior. Now, if you do that today, as I'm about to pray with you, I want you to tell a pastor, a teacher, a leader, somebody that you did that. Okay? There's a second group of people. Maybe you know the Lord, but you maybe you just got away from following Him. Go through these scriptures and walk through this process. Okay? And again, if you've done that, share it with a Bible teacher, a pastor, uh, somebody, your accountability partner, somebody in your small group, so they can be praying for you. Okay? Let's pray together today. Father, first of all, I want to pray for anyone that's listening today and they don't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would right now call upon you that they might be saved. That they would put their hope in the one and only true God and Jesus Christ, your Son, who is the payment for sin. And Father, I pray that for all of us who maybe have experienced anxiety in our lives, that we would learn to trust you, that we would go back and read this passage over and over and over again. 
and that we would follow these steps that we might be free from the enemy's tactics of leaving us in bondage to anxiety because you have freed us from that. And I thank you, Lord, for the life victorious. You said in your word, the thief comes only but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Thank you, Lord, for it. Hey, you want to add this um, at the very end here? If you want a uh, some notes, uh, I can I can send you the notes so you can have this in in, in uh, print form. Um, so maybe you can have a resource to look back at. If you will email me, I'm going to give you my personal email. It's Chuck C H U C K Lowry L O W R Y Chuck Lowry at ymail.com. That's just like the letter Y. Chuck. Lowry at ymail.com. Just send me an email. Say, hey, send me the notes for that uh, podcast on anxiety, and I will send that to you, okay? And by the way, you're going to, if you'll see at the bottom um, there of the podcast, you'll see a place on there where you can send me a message and let me know what you think. If you have any questions, if you see something I can improve on, hey, do that too, man. I'm just learning to do this, and so I'm sure there's lots of room for improvement. But hey, thanks again. Uh, Keep business back. This is, like I said, a learning process. We're going to keep improving and on and on and on and on again, okay? So thanks, and I appreciate you being here. Um, It's been a blast. We'll see you next time.